Today is Family Worship Sunday, and that means that the children are in the service with us today, and in an effort to keep them a little more engaged uh, in the message, the Family Life Department has printed out a worksheet uh, for them to fill out as we go along. The ushers may have some more. Is there any child in the room that did not get a worksheet and you would like to have one? Raise your hand or stand up, and we'll be glad to give it to you. No, you have to be under 18, Okay. Anybody at all, raise your hand. Balcony, lower floor. There's one over here, the balcony, and uh, you'll get a chance to, um, to use that. I told the staff, maybe we should give a worksheet to the adults as well. It'll keep you from falling asleep, maybe. Keep you off your phone and your Facebook and your uh, playing games on the phone, all that stuff. So. so kids, glad you're in the service today. Just keep an eye on your parents for me. Keep them awake. And when you get home and they ask you what the service meant and what the sermon meant, you can explain it to them. That would be a good thing. How many are ready to welcome the kids to the service today? Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Ushers, we've still got a hand raised over here, a couple of hands in the balcony on this south side if you want to take care of that for us. Also, to keep the focus somewhat tight today... Um, we're not going to consider a long passage of Scripture or even an involved Old Testament story, but rather we're going to look at just one verse, one very familiar verse, and in fact, our primary focus is not even going to be on the whole verse, but on the last half of this verse, and it's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 59. If you want to go there, that would be a great thing. The book of Isaiah chapter 59. And not only that, not only are we just using a half of a verse today, but instead of using one of the more recent translations, we're going to go old school, and we're going to use the King James Version. How many remember the King James Version? Now, <laughs> while I love many of the newer translations, and I'm sure you've already picked up on what some of my personal favorites are, there are just times that nothing says it quite like the King James Version. I'm not trying to start an argument here this morning. Certainly, if you as a kid did uh, much Scripture memorization, you more than likely memorized the Scripture from the King James Version, and for if that's true for you, I'm sure it carries a certain passion in its delivery. So with that said, let's go to this very familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 59, the last part of verse 19, and I want us to say it together, and I... Let's go ahead and get it right from the, from the very beginning. Sometimes when I have you say, quote a scripture with me, you kind of start with a voice that's like this, and I just kind of barely say it, and you put forth minimal effort. Well, just to help you, if you want to start there on this, and it's not a real long verse, it's just half a verse, you can, but let's ramp it up as we go, all right? How many are ready to do that? Let's get it right the first time. Let's put the scripture up. It says this. Come on with me. When? Let's go. Let's do it one more time. One more time. Here we go. When the enemy How many are grateful for that today? Yeah. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that, that it, it, it provides life for us. It is life for us. There's truth there. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. It gives us just exactly what we need. So we bless you today for your word. We ask that you will help us today. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. 
And everyone said, Amen. Amen. A pastor friend of mine was telling me about a conference that he attended on the West Coast. And part of this conference, he attended a luncheon uh, at noon one day. And as this luncheon was taking place and they were getting seated at the tables, there was another pastor who was seated at a table not far away from him who was quite emotional. And it struck my pastor friend odd that this other pastor was being very emotional because the atmosphere didn't seem to necessitate that and nothing had been said or had happened that would cause him to be so emotional. So my friend didn't understand that until he questioned this other pastor and that pastor told him why he had become so emotional. You see, he was looking out over the windows of this lovely restaurant where they were having this lunch and he was looking out at a beach where he and his 12-year-old son had almost drowned. They swam out a little too far, and they didn't realize that the tide and the, the undercurrent was taking them further and further out. And when they finally realized that they needed to swim back in, they started to do that, and they became so exhausted that at one point they really were just ready to give up. And, my, and this pastor said he was trying to figure out how he was going to tell his son, son, we're not going to make it. We're just not going to make it. And he said that while they, while they were out there, they gave it one last effort. And even though they were exhausted and there was a beach full of people having a great time, enjoying the sun and the beach and the water, even though that was happening and dozens if not hundreds of people were watching all this take place, no one realized that those two were in desperate need of help and they were out of strength and they were about to go under. Nobody, nobody realized it, even though they were just maybe yards away from them. No one was sensitive to it and saw it. They were about to drown, and nobody knew it. There were no lifeguards on duty at this particular point, which made it even more difficult. And finally, they made this last-ditch effort, and he got to a place, the the pastor, the father, got to a place where he was able to stand up and grab his son, and they finally made it. But nobody around could recognize how serious the situation was, and they almost lost their lives. They called drowning a silent killer, a silent killer, and here's why. Most people who drown do so with dozens, if not hundreds of other people on a beach nearby, as this situation was, simply watching what's going on. And people can look and have no idea that someone is about to drown for this reason. The victim is out of strength, they're in shock, And so because they're out of strength and they're in shock, they cannot scream, they cannot cry, and they cannot yell. They they, they don't say anything because their strength is being used to breathe and not to shout. How many know that when you are in a place of desperation and, and you're having to just exist and get by, whatever it is, priorities become very, very important. And imagine in that moment, the priority is not even, it's hard to even imagine, as important as crying out or or, or yelling at someone that they need help, as important as that is, a higher priority was just breathing. Just breathing. That had to be the higher priority just to exist. You can be in an entire crowd of people who will not recognize that someone is drowning. That's why lifeguards are trained to not only uh, listen for the cry of drowning people, but they're trained to to look for. They're not just listening for the sounds because maybe that, that person can't even make a sound. They can't even cry. They can't even call for help. And so they're trained to look for people that are in distress. 
Now, how easily we can see this happening in the church as well. You can be sitting with people in the pews this morning, and no one is saying, help, I'm drowning, because they are literally losing strength. And their priorities have indicated to them all they could do was just get here this morning. They may not have been able to lift their voice in worship. They may not have been able to lift their hands as the choir was singing that glorious song. All they could do was just get here. That was all they could possibly do. Because the victim, they're out of strength. They can't do anything. They're, they're, they're in shock. And they feel like the flood and the water is beginning to get higher and higher. And here they are, right in our midst, right in the midst of our worship, right in the midst of our praises, right in the midst of our preaching, right in the midst of us doing our church things. And we don't even realize that the flood for them is, is getting higher and higher. And they don't even have the strength to carry on anymore. And they're not crying out because they have no more strength. It's a silent killer. We so often have no idea who we're sitting next to and the truth about their circumstances. Choir members, you have no idea sometimes who you're singing next to and exactly what's going on. You have no idea what's happening with someone even with whom you're doing church life. That is why it is so critical. Oh, hear me today. That's why it is so critical that we are attentive to each other. Not simply by hearing what people are saying, but by looking at them and asking God for discernment and wisdom as God brings people across our path. Can I get an amen to that? That's why community church for us, community is so important, particularly in the life of a believer. This is why getting connected in a home group or a small group of any kind, connect group, is, is so vital for our well-being. And some people will say, you know, I just, I don't like that. That's not my thing. I don't want to sit in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Guess what? Nobody else does either. That's not their thing. But that's not what the point is. I literally wish every person in Bethesda was connected in a home group or a connect group setting so that you can not only be a, receive blessing, but you can be a blessing to others. Let's try that over here, Dan. It's a two-way street, folks. Ladies, why should you go to the retreat this weekend or the men's retreat that's coming up in October? Why should you go? Well, I don't know what I'll get out of it. You will get something out of it. You will be blessed, but also you have the opportunity and the privilege and the honor of being a blessing to someone else. It's a two-way street. That's why it's so very, very critical that you're involved in a connect group setting of some kind. Some of you are fighting the battle of loneliness this morning. It's a serious, serious battle. You may be drowning in the sea of loneliness today, but for some reason, maybe because of the priority situation for you, you have so lost strength and you're so drowning in loneliness that you can't even yell for help. You can't even cry out for help. And you have, or maybe you have resisted getting engaged in community when there is help available. I'm telling you this, church, and I want you to hear me. The healthy Christian will find their place in a small group setting, both for their own sake and for the sake of others. It's how we are designed to, to live. It's how God has designed us. I wish 100% of Bethesda was involved in a connect group in some way or another. It's the, the, the more people of this fellowship that are involved in a connect group, the healthier this church will be. I'm telling you the truth this morning. We'll talk more about this later, and I'm expecting a big amen from Pastor Todd. 
All right, our connections, Pastor. If you're saying, if you're sitting here today saying, well, how do I get involved? Pastor Todd is the one that can help you, and he'll do a great job of that. But there may be people here this morning that are drowning. And the greatest thing that I know that the Bible can help us with when we reach this point is a verse like this that we've just read this morning. Because a verse like this reminds us that there is help and there is always hope in God. I don't know about you, but when Becky and I have reached some of the bumps in life that we have reached and it just looks like, oh my goodness, we don't know what to do. We can't, we can't find our way through this. We had problems that faced us that we, we were not prepared for. We had no idea. Just to know that there's help is such a comfort. Just to know in your circumstance that you feel so blinded and paralyzed by, just to know that there is help is such a comfort. And I'm here to remind you, if you hear nothing else today, there is help and there is always hope in God. That's why I love the word of the Lord so much, because it touches us on every level, no matter where you are today in the journey, no matter who you are here today. The word of God is so powerful, as we said in the prayer a moment ago, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why when we preach the Bible, the great thing is, you know what, when we preach the Bible, whoever's preaching, if it's me or one of the pastors, whoever it is, it doesn't even matter the topic that we're preaching on. The Bible is so powerful and so full of life, it has the ability to cut through where you are today in your situation, in your circumstance, and have something of, life, of a life-giving nature to give to you. Hallelujah. <laughs> if it's the Word, it can change anybody's life. So wherever you are today, just open your heart because the, when the Word goes forth, you never know how it's going to touch you when the word goes forth. So let's look at this verse and break it down. And if you're taking notes today, and this might be a good day to do it, I've got three words for you. We're going to break down this last half of Isaiah 59, 19. I'm going to do it with three words. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. The first word that comes to my mind when looking at this verse or looking at this passage is this. It's the word inevitable. Say it with me. Inevitable. Because the Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood. How many here this morning know it's not if, it's when. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. If it hasn't happened already, be encouraged. It will soon. It's not if, it's when. But somehow, we forget that it is inevitable. And he will come in at any place, any time he wants to. He will come in whether it's the womb of a mother through abortion. He'll come into a church service. He'll come, he's not intimidated to come into a choir practice. Pastor Brent, I've conducted one or two of those. He's not intimidated to come into a choir practice. He'll go through a church staff. He's not afraid of the pastor's office. He's not willing to shy away from our marriages or our children. The enemy will go any place that he can to sow discord and to bring destruction. Look, even the Lord Jesus experienced it. When you read through the temptations of Jesus, you discover that even Jesus wasn't off limits. So why should we be? Can you imagine going through a baptismal and the Trinity, the whole Trinity shows up. You've got Jesus, you've got the dove coming down representing the Holy Spirit, and the Father speaks an audible voice, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then, 
The very next verse says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, isn't that interesting? I learned years ago. My folks taught me, and then I learned it through practical experience. Just about the time you have a mountaintop, and it's all happened, it's all going your way, and you are shouting hallelujah, watch out. Watch out. And we, unfortunately, have the tendency to think when we get to that mountaintop, we've arrived. This is now where we're going to live. This is what I've been working for. This is where we're going to live. This is my spot. This feels good here. So you leave one of the greatest moments of your life where the baptism takes place when you're Jesus and the Trinity shows up. And the next day, you're face to face with Lucifer who you just kicked out of heaven. Listen, it is never if, it's when. And then the question has to come. Why does the enemy go after Jesus? Here's what I want you to remember. Jesus was attacked. Jesus was gone after. Jesus was a target because of how valuable, how holy, and how pure he was. We think when we get tempted that the enemy is tempting us because we're so bad. That foul thought comes to your head. That wrong motive is in your heart and it's right there and you think that's because I'm so bad. Let me tell you this. He tempts you because he knows who you belong to. That's why he goes after you. He tempts you because he knows who you belong to. So right after, the father pronounces, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The enemy goes, now get him. Now, get him. And he begins to launch an attack. Now here's something that we must understand, and stay with me for a couple of minutes here through this church. Whenever Jesus shows up, Stuff that needs to get exposed gets exposed because of the presence of Jesus. Do I need to say that again? When Jesus shows up and his presence is there, stuff gets exposed that needs to be exposed. And that's why we need Jesus. And the attack of the enemy on the church today is this. Hear me, hear me, hear me. He'll do everything he can to drive out the presence of Jesus. He will try to to thwart our focus. He will cause us to major on minors and minor on majors. He'll make sure we're too busy for prayer. He'll make sure we're too busy to read our Bible. And the problem is this. When we put our fingerprints on it, we can mess it up. But when we allow God to be God in our midst, trust me, stuff gets exposed. And if there's no presence of Jesus, then guess what happens? Just like the Pharisees did, you start comparing yourself with yourself. You may look across the aisle and see someone and say, "Mm, I know about them, they're all messed up. I'm not messed up like they're messed up. I must be doing okay. But you put Jesus in that situation... And you are, you're going to realize how messed up you really are. Because when Jesus comes, when the presence of Jesus is there, stuff just gets exposed. Because Jesus knows how to show up even in the most religious settings and he begins to expose everything that goes on. We just don't see it when we don't have the presence of Jesus. So here we have this group of Pharisees I just referenced doing all this religious stuff. And because they were better than everybody else and everybody thought they were all fine, God is looking at them and saying, no. 
You guys are sepulchers with dead men's bones. That's what you are. Well, they didn't think so. They didn't care about it until God sent his son and exposed exactly who they were. And God sent his, the one who was sinless and pure. And when Jesus stepped on the scene and was there, then you started to see what exactly happened in this exposure. When Jesus steps up, they're ready, they're ready to see that's religion. This is God. That's what tradition can do. But this is what God can do. When you let Jesus step into a scene, even our religious stuff gets exposed. Amen. Then Jesus shows up and goes, and you need more of me in this situation. How many of you in your attack this morning, those of you who are experiencing an attack, how many of you are ready to say, I need more of Jesus in my situation? That's what God does. He says, you need more of me. That's why we need the presence of Jesus in this place. So what the enemy does, he'll do whatever he can to keep the presence of Jesus from here. So when Jesus shows up, either people, they do one of two things. They either repent or they resent him. They either repent or they resent him. And the religious folks didn't repent. In fact, they resented him and they ended up killing him. And that's why I remember this. Whatever was experienced by Jesus will be experienced by us if we're going to be true followers of his. I know you would like me to stand here and give you a gospel that tells you everything's going to be wonderful and you'll be tiptoeing through the tulips all the way into glory. How many would like that gospel? But that's not the truth. And that's not the testimony of anybody in this room. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. If he experienced it, why shouldn't we? And so then the enemy begins to turn his target toward the body of Christ, and that's you and me in this building today, right toward those of us in this place. And he will go after us. And the reason why he does it, the reason why he begins to do that is not because we're bad and evil. It's because the reason the enemy comes after us is because we are the property of God. Let me explain it to you this way. If we were to take you and try to sell you on eBay, let's say I posted Pastor Todd on eBay this morning. My post would look something like this. I've got a Connections Pastor for sale. He's got a nice haircut, nice smile. He likes to wear bright, funky shirts. How do I come up with a price that I'm going to sell, that I'm going to sell him for? Well, let me tell you what scientists will tell you. Scientists will tell us that your body is made up of chemicals that add up to a grand total of a whopping $3.86. Kind of humbling, isn't it? When all of a sudden you realize, when you think you're something, you're all that in a bag of chips, when you realize at the end of the day, you are only made up of $3.86 worth of chemicals. That's it. Now, wives, I don't know if you picked up on it, but I just gave you ammunition for your, when your husband gets a little out there. All you need to do, and you can try it right now, just smack him a little and call him 386. That's all you got to do. Next time he walks in the house and he says, you should have seen that golf shot I made today. Oh, man, it just, 386. <laughs> or he's primping in the mirror, and yes, there are guys who primp in the mirror. 
thinking they're looking all fine? 386. Just say, hold up there, buddy. 386, you're not all that. If I put you on eBay, you wouldn't fetch very much. But isn't it funny that Sotheby's auction house, not too long ago, sold Napoleon's toothbrush for $21,000. They sold Jackie Onassis's fake pearls. Did you hear fake pearls? For $215,000. They sold JFK's wooden golf clubs for $750,000. Now, I don't know about you, but i got to ask, what are you going to do with a 400-year-old toothbrush? I don't know about you, I'm buying an Oral-B. I am not putting that old thing in my mouth. There is no way. But what makes those things valuable is who they belong to. That means this, church. The day you walked down that aisle, the day you responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, whether it was this aisle, another church, a small group setting, wherever it was that you said yes to Jesus and you responded to his invitation, that day God says, they now belong to me. They're part of my family. They are part of me. Which means this, 386, your stock value just shot up because of Jesus. Hallelujah. not because of you, because of who you belong to and who he is. Listen, the reason you're valuable is not you. You may think that, all that you've done. Look at my nails. I got the French thing going on. 386. Look at my suit. 386. Look at my Versace glasses. They're not. My Versace glasses. 386. Look at that Armani dress. But the day you became a Christian, Jesus goes, now you're my property. Now you become something valuable. Hallelujah. Come on, you ought to put your hands together and bless the Lord for that. But not only valuable, but a target. Now you are an inevitable target for the enemy to step in. Notice the inevitability of our text. When the enemy comes in, here comes the second word if you're taking notes, like a flood. This is the part I don't like. Now we move from inevitability to incursion, which is a hostile entrance or invasion. Like me, you may have seen video footage of the monsoons of Bangladesh. I'm sure our missionaries, Mel and Jillian Rogers, could talk to us about the monsoons of Bangladesh. Some of you have been to Haiti after the hurricanes and the mudslides. Some of you are in this very room right now in Fort Worth because you left New Orleans after Katrina hit and that, and that devastated that city. So some of you know something about a flood. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the crazy thing about it is this, water gets into everything. And when it goes in, 
It touches everything. If there is a hole, if there is a crack or a crevice, it's going to find its way in there and spread everywhere it possibly can. That's what a flood does. The Bible tells us this is the method used by the enemy. He comes in like a flood. It's an incursion. The enemy will come in and look for any crack that he can find. He'll look for any place that he can begin to affect and infect, and he will find anything. He'll find a crack of doubt in you. He'll find a crevice of fear. He'll find a place of anger, a place of resentment, a place of jealousy, a place of unforgiveness. He'll find that, come in, and begin to build that thing up and make so much more out of it. That's what he does. He comes in like a flood. It's an incursion. And it's not if, but when. And every one of us have places in us that the enemy looks for. I certainly have my vulnerabilities, my own sense of inability and inadequacy and all the things I, I don't do well. It doesn't take much for him to come in and, and about the time I thought everything was going a certain way and, and then I realized that I don't have what it takes to get that job done and then doubt begins to settle in. There's a crack of doubt that he can find in me. And then after doubt, here comes discouragement. About the time I thought everything was going a certain way, it was happening a good way, then all, it looks like things are strong and moving forward. How many know in a split second the wheels can start falling off? And when the wheels start falling off, I'm thinking, oh, I thought we had everybody going here. And discouragement sets in. Oh, Dan, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You don't have that. I certainly have my vulnerabilities. And my guess is you've got your vulnerabilities too. He'll convince you of a lie and he will build that thing up. He'll plant some little thought in your head and he will make a mountain out of a molehill. How many know I'm telling you the truth? Some of you, every time you have an ache or a pain, you think it's a dreadful disease coming on. And the enemy tells you you're gonna die. Every little thing. If it's a mosquito bite, you think it's a lump. And is it healing or is it not healing? And God forbid then you start to Google it and you start to do research on it and you become your own doctor and you become an expert on small dots on your skin that itch. And you read more and you discover that with small dots on your skin that itch, there are other symptoms and you talk yourself into those symptoms because it'll say, if you have a small dot on your skin that itches, you might be tired. Yes, I am tired. I'm so tired. And then you read a little more as you Google it and become an expert on this, whatever it is. And because the enemy's planted this lie in your mind, you say, if you have this little dot that itches on your skin, you're gonna be hungry. Yes, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm just starving. I've got it. Whatever it is, I've got it. And you've talked yourself into that issue. And you've become convinced that you've got whatever it is you've just Googled. And the enemy comes in looking for every crack and crevice, and when he comes in, it's like a flood. It's an incursion. It's an incursion. Or just get a little bit of resentment towards someone. Just a little tiny crack of resentment towards someone. They didn't look at you the right way this morning when they walked in. They said hello to everybody else, but they didn't say hello to you. Not to you. And we just had greeting time a few minutes ago in church, and you were supposed to high-five five people. Well, the person you was watching, they high-fived four, but they didn't do you. <laughs> what kind of church is this anyway? <laughs> and the enemy finds that crack, comes in like a flood, and now it's not just that person, 
Now it's the whole church, and now it's not only the whole church, now it's Jesus. You've got resentment toward all of it. And then it's not just that one person, it's not just the church, it's not just Jesus, it's everybody on the planet except you. How many know I'm telling you the truth? You can go ahead and sit there with your nervous laughter all you want, but I'm telling you the truth. And the enemy is delighted to put that kind of deception on you, and he can put it on me. So we must understand this. Hear me carefully. When the incursion comes, when the floodwaters overwhelm, our text says this, when the enemy, that's the inevitability, comes in like a flood, that's the incursion. And here's word number three. The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. That's the intensity. What the Lord is telling us right here is that we have a defense in this whole thing. Let's remember this, that Jesus said this, when I leave, I am not going to leave you as orphans or defenseless. I'm going to give you another one. He says, I'm going to send to you the comforter, the paraclete, or the parakaleo, which that word actually means to walk alongside. God was saying, you're not going to have to be in this thing alone, but you're going to have someone to walk alongside you in this journey. Someone that will be there no matter what you're going through, someone right next to you. Somebody ought to say hallelujah for that. Where's my helper, Felix? Come down here. Got one of our fine board members going to help me this morning. And here's what I thought. I thought having the paraclete, when I read walk alongside, was something like this. I'm not going to grab your hand. I don't want to hold your hand, okay? Just your wrist. We're walking and talking. It's a walk in the park. I've got someone alongside. This is what I thought it meant. Isn't this nice? The weather's lovely today. Sun is shining. The air is nice and crisp, and it feels good, and we're just walking and talking, and we're having a grand old time. This is what I thought it was, all right? But here's the issue. There's a book written by Patrick Morley where he indicates that this word parakaleo is not just a walk in the park, which is part of it, a part of this comforter word. Parakaleo was also a method of fighting. And he says, it's not just this. It's not just, no, 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 not yet. It's not just a walk in the park. This is all great. It's not just that, but it's more than that. Because when you have the parakaleo, you have someone who's ready to fight for you. And, and that word actually means not necessarily walk alongside. It means back to back. And the Lord knows that as I'm walking and I'm seeing everything around me, I see what's going on. But, but I, and I do this. But guess what? On the back side, he's got my back covered because he's fighting what's coming behind me. And he says, I know that you see what's going on. And I, you can see all that. But I'm going to protect you. Whatever it is you're going through, I've got your back. Bless the Lord. Give Felix a good hand. That word means back to back. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, friend, understand this. We've got the Holy Ghost to protect us. He's not only walking along beside us, he sees what's behind us. I can't see what's coming behind me. I can't see the person who's about to knife me in the back, but he does, and he's ever fighting for me. He's ever making intercession on our behalf. Bless the name of the Lord. Come on, let's bless Jesus today. He's got our back covered. 
The thing that makes us strong is not who we are, it's who we belong to. And that's why Jesus lets us know that we are sheep and he's the shepherd. And let's be honest, he picks the worst animal that you can imagine because it's an animal with no defense system, not to mention stupid. (laughs) He didn't say, you are the shark and I'm the aquarium keeper. He didn't say, you're a wolverine, woo, and I'm the zoo man. No, he said, what are you? You're sheep. Now, how many colleges do you know that have sheep as their mascot? (laughs) And here they come, the Texas sheep. Bah! (laughs) How embarrassing would that be? Jesus picks the animal with no defense system. You have no teeth on your top jaw. You have no claws. If you get knocked over, you can't even get up unless someone picks you up. And Jesus goes, that's what you are. Because the only way that you can be strong is if you have a good shepherd. And oh my, what a shepherd we have. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, and here's the key, shall raise up a standard. Watch it again. There are two shalls in this verse. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. What he was saying was this. You can expect the enemy. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's not if, but when. You can expect the enemy, but you can expect God also. How great is our God? Guess what? The devil's coming, but so is God. The devil's coming, but so is the Holy Spirit. The devil's coming, but so is our intercessor who ever lives to make intercession for us. The devil is coming, but thank God, so is he. Bless the name of the Lord. That's the promise we have. We know we're going to be attacked. We know our marriages are going to be attacked. We know our children are going to be attacked. But right in the midst of the attack, we know who else is there. We know this. God's coming in to raise up a standard, and it's going to be just as certain as your attack is. It's going to be just as real in the midnight hour as your attack is. When you don't understand where that came from, you don't understand how that blow got to you, it's just as real as that. Shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard. So if you're here today and you're feeling the pressure of the incursion, the flood is pressing in on you, and you're silently saying today, oh God, help me, I'm drowning. You can't even utter the words because you're out of strength. Just one crack or crevice is now starting to fill up, and the flood water is taking over from one little issue that happened, one little resentment, one moment where you prayed, God, don't take my mom, don't take my dad, don't take my wife, and God in his providence and wisdom took them home, and all of a sudden a crack of anger against God comes, and then it all starts filling up. It often starts with this. Does prayer really work? Is God really there? Does he even care what I'm going through? Suddenly the flood starts coming in. You see it happening in a marriage. 
You see it happening with your children. You see it happening in your spiritual life. But we're going to join in faith today, believing that God is going to raise up, and here's the word, a standard. A standard. It's not just some magical word. You know what that word means? It was a flag that was used to say, help is on the way. It was a flag that was carried by an army that indicated it was coming in. So right in the midst of a flood, all of a sudden you see a standard coming, a flag that's waving, and it's the indication that God is saying, I'm coming. I'm on my way. I'm coming to that hospital room. I'm coming to your heart. I'm coming to your mind. I'm coming to your family. I'm coming to your church. Hallelujah. He raises up a standard. Bless the Lord.